Ladies and gentlemen, this is Book Music with Tosh. And I'm Kimley. And each episode, we feature one book, one title that has to be music related in some form or fashion. It could be either a music memoir by a musician, of course, or it could be a biography. It could be about music history, or it could be even about a fictional character who happens to be a composer or musician but in a fictional landscape. But today on Book Music, we are going to discuss Recombo DNA, the story of Devo, or how the 60s became the 80s, by Kevin C. Smith, published by Jawbone Books. Is there anything more you want to say about the book beyond that, Kimberly? Well, we should say this book has actually been out for a while. It came out in 2013. Yes, we, we try to do really recent books as, as, as much as possible. But um, the, the author approached me about this book, oh gosh, maybe like a couple of months ago. Mm-hmm. And although I was very interested in the subject matter, I was concerned that the book was a little too old. Yeah. But the book is around. And once I start reading the book, I realize that this is a very important book. Definitely. Uh, on many levels. Because yes. it's about Debo. <laughs> D-E-V-O. <laughs> are we not men? Are we Debo? We are Debo. <laughs> okay, it's good. You got the catchphrase down, Tosh. Yeah, very important. Because <laughs> nobody out there knows. And uh, to this day, um, Debo has a, quite a strong following, a fanatical following. And like other bands, such as Suicide, which we covered um uh, a couple of episodes ago on book music, uh, Devo also has a strong presence for people like other musicians, um, as well as people who are into electronic music or electronic pop music or just 80s music or that term new wave, whatever that means. We sort of discussed that last in our last episode on the new romantic. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and he gets into that in this book too. Yeah, it's interesting. We're getting, it's actually in a funny way, it's sort of a, like a, like the bizarro world of the new romantics. The demon. Right. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> the ugly side of the new romantics. <laughs> the American side. <laughs> the crass, <laughs> commercialized. Ugly, ugly makeup and, <laughs> but yet still uh, uniform. And, you know, first we start off, I have to mention that I knew Devo. Yes. In fact, you're in the bibliography <laughs> in the back of the book. You are. Yes. Yes. Uh, My name is mentioned. Uh, yeah, your name is mentioned as an author on um, that book about your dad. Um, the what's it called? Some the feminine No, the revolution one. I'll support um, the revolution. Yes, yeah, support the revolution. Okay, I, didn't, I didn't know that. That's interesting. Yeah, 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 yeah. Tosh Berman, support the revolution. So, okay, my yeah. name is in this book. It is as well. I did not know that. Yes. Um, That's funny you didn't see that. (laughs) No, I did not see it. It shows that obviously it's an interesting book if my name is mentioned in the book. Well, clearly. (laughs) It's an important book. Uh, And my father, Wallace Berman, who's an artist, is mentioned in the book as well. Right. Um, To give a little explanation of my relationship with Devo. So we just put this all on board and, you know, there's no, you know, there's no weird anything. (laughs) <laughs> you know, book. Um, I met Devo uh, in, I think, the, in 1977. It was like mm-hmm. about a year after my dad died. Mm-hmm. And I went to see, 
I, first of all, I bought their single, their 45 RPM single at Bomp Records in uh, North Hollywood, which was the only place where you could buy actual punk rock or experimental music, pop music, or like artists made records. Mm. Um, you know, like New Wave or punk records. Right. They're like, for instance, I bought Television's uh, Little Johnny Jewel there. Right. Like All the little stuff. indie press. Like, the, these are the things when they, before they got signed, that they put out yeah. themselves. Uh, yeah. And like the Television and uh, Richard Hale is like on Orc Press. Right. He's named after Terry Orc, who uh-huh. was Television's manager at the time. Uh-huh. And um, so, you know, you couldn't get these records. I mean, it's not like now. I mean, like, to find these records, you read about it in Village Voice or papers like the New York Rocker, you know, maybe sometimes the Enemy or Melody Maker. Uh-huh. But uh-huh. they were like really limited edition 45 RPM records, probably edition of, you know, maybe a thousand, maybe 500. And it was not really like a record, like a collectible thing. It was this. Yeah, you have to really. You wanted to hear it. Yeah, I mean, there was no place to hear it. I mean, that's how you heard it. You had to buy it. (laughs) Radio radio stations did not play this stuff, you know. Right. So you know, I was really intrigued by a lot of the bands of that of that era of the of the um, of the mid seventies. You know, the punk, new wave, experimental groups. Sure. And um, by just by the graphic, I saw the Devo single, um, Mongoloid. On one side and the other side was Jocko Homo. And I was intrigued by the, the just by the, the cover, you know. And I guess mm-hmm. I could afford to buy at the time. You know, it was probably two dollars and forty-five cents or something like that. Mm-hmm. And and uh, so I bought it, you know. And 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 I never I remember this because I I never heard of them before. I was actually at Bomp Records, mm-hmm. and nobody recommended the record to me. It just was just there in front of me, and I bought it. Mm-hmm. And so I purchased the record, took it home, of course, played it, and I loved it. Right. I mean, I really loved it. I thought it was just a great sound, great, like really new to me, like really yeah. harsh, electronic, mechanical sound. Mm-hmm. And it really appealed to my sense. I liked the way they you know, they looked or sort of creepy looking and they were kind of, like, uh-huh. I mean, I didn't really have a definition of who Devo is or was at that time. It was just these guys in a baby mask, maybe, you know, there's, it's sort of yeah. like the residents or something like that. It's like some, you know, this weird industrial yeah wasteland music and uh it really appealed to me and, and then I, I noticed that this band Devo was going to be at the starwood in los angeles so our my friend our friend gary freelander and i uh went to starwood to see Devo. um we went there uh we had no trouble finding a seat or a place to stand up because nobody was in the, in the, in the theater well, except with a few especially cool people. <laughs> so it wasn't crowded. That's interesting. I didn't realize no, that. it was not crowded. It was oh, me, wow. Gary, our friend. We didn't go together, but our friend, Tony Basil. Right. <laughs> the famous, legendary, great Tony Basil. Yeah. And apparently she was with uh, Iggy Pop. Yeah. So that's four people. And then three other people. I don't know who they were. <laughs> <laughs> It could have been the bartender, oh, the usher. You know. Wow, wow. So so it's kind of weird you know, when you see a band, there's only like five people in the audience. You know, it's kind of strange. Yeah. So Diva comes on, and it was jaw-dropping great. Yeah. Um, even though there's five people in the audience, they played like <laughs> in front of thousands. Yeah. And uh, what, pro- what, what, what struck me was their... Um, there, to me, there, it was almost like seeing James Brown in the flames at the Tammy show live. Mm. 
uh, often they're not black. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they're not funky, but they're like mechanical. They don't funky. do the splits. <laughs> but, they, but they have their own like sort of dance. Their movement was highly choreographed. Yeah, yeah, there's nothing like free, you know, free form or amateur about their approach to doing their 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 step that 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 mm-hmm. evening. So it's highly choreographed, high, you know, timed perfectly, incredibly intense. Mm-hmm. Like your whole body was built in music, you know, because mm-hmm. you know, they have this pacing they did. It was like sort of like slower, slower, faster, faster, slower. Right. Slower. Yeah, he talks about you know, then you get like your hit like bump, bump, bump. Uh-huh. So Gary and I were totally floored by them. Um, how we knew them, I can't remember. Actually, it was like that. I night. was going to ask you, how did you meet them? Because I, I figured it must have been the Tony Basil connection. It is. It was, you know, I don't. I can't imagine me and Gary went backstage and you say, "Oh man, you guys right. are great." <laughs> we're, we're, we're way more cooler than that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, we pay to get in, so we paid probably five dollars each, so they got ten dollars at least. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to make them work harder for the money they already. Uh, Right, right, right. So I was there, and uh, so I had—I think it was through Tony. But the amazing thing about Devo, you know, they're from Ohio, famously from Ohio, mm-hmm. from Akron, Ohio. Um, I think their city made tires, I believe. Uh-huh. Um, so that was the industry, and um, totally like Midwestern guys. I mean, they—they they, seemed totally foreigners to me when I finally met them. You know, they seem to be like totally. I don't want to say from the Hicks, but this totally, definitely not West Coast. Oh, it's like being from another country. To me, they were. Uh-huh. And, uh-huh. But it was interesting. I believe Tony introduced me to them as well as Gary. Yeah. And, um, and it's funny how our lives interweaned once we start knowing them. Because uh, through Tony, I can't underestimate the importance of Tony Basil. I know. She's like the glue in so many different scenes. It's kind of amazing. I wrote about her in my book, you know, uh-huh. at Bosch. And I also mentioned in, in interviews and stuff her importance to her being the bridge between the fine art beatnik beat hippie world and the showbiz world. Yeah. And uh, again, Tony took Devo. Um, she was a fan right away. She got them right away. You know, as a dancer, she totally understood their 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 show in a sense. Yeah. And you know, she and what's fascinating is that she introduced him to them to other music people. Right. You know, Iggy brought brought the attention of Devo to Bowie. Or in fact, I think Iggy heard of Devo when their first single came out or demos. I think maybe they they, they somehow Iggy got a hold of uh, Devo. Demo. Yeah, I think he said in the book that they were sending him. The diva yeah. was sending Bowie and Iggy. And I think, and I think Iggy pre- then presented to Bowie, and then you know, and so on and so on. Then Bowie connected to Tony. Iggy, to, you know, went to Tony, and then right. you know, and then Tony introduced him to the rock and roll world. And right. Tony's boyfriend at the time is Dean Stockwell, mm-hmm. and Dean Stockwell is very close to Neil Young. So Devo were introduced to Neil Young as well as to right. Dean and then the Dennis Hopper. And then, you know, Devo just sort of totally absorbed the entire West Coast um, showbiz. Yeah, like, they, they met the right person at the right time, like immediately. Yeah. I mean, that meeting with Tony Basil and also Bruce Connor. She was the connection to Bruce Connor. Without a doubt. So. And for, in case our listeners don't know, you know, we're dropping names like left and right here, but Bruce Connor <laughs> is a, um, a contemporary artist of my father's time and a close friend of my dad. And Bruce Connor is a um, assemblage artist. Um, 
and a film experimental filmmaker and an exceptionally great um highly influential uh filmmaker and he's well known for having done the mongoloid video for devo he did, he did the mongoloid video for devo and that one for uh david byrne and yes. Brian, you know? yeah 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 i mean it's more as a collaborator more than like they hire bruce connor and i remember jerry who's the bass player and and, and arguably eventually the the co-leader of Devo along with Mark mm -hmm. Mothersbaugh. Mm -hmm. Jerry asked me like who is this Bruce Connor guy? You know like <laughs> <laughs> Right. Well he was already sort of like an old guy to them, you know, I mean yeah. what was he like in his forties at the time or something, you know. So yeah. He didn't seem like a rock and roll guy, I'm sure. So Bruce was like in his own in his own, you know, world in San Francisco. He's from he lives in San Francisco, Bruce Connor at the time. Mm -hmm. And because of Tony insisting that Bruce go see Devo at the local club in San Francisco, he did so. Yeah. But not only that, Bruce became sort of fascinated with the punk rock scene in San Francisco and started documenting, meaning photographing uh, bands. Yeah, yeah he took um, some amazing photos. And he connected with a, a publication called Search and Destroy. And each city had its own publication at the time. We had Slash Magazine or Slash Newspaper. Mm -hmm. uh, there's New York Rocker in New York, and then Search and Destroy was the San Francisco music, cultural, punk um, publication. Mm -hmm. And there have been long interviews with Jerry and Mark in these publications, and Bruce took a lot of photographs for Search and Destroy. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, this really strange, you know, um, connections at that time. And Dave was totally functioned by the people, you know, behind them, you know, and I think and Kevin Smith, Kevin C. Smith, who, by the way, I think this is an excellent book. I think it's a really good book. Yeah, I uh, really enjoyed it. Um, covers that aspect of Devo. What I'm telling you now, uh, I, didn't, I was not interviewed for this book by any means, but what I'm telling you now is pretty much in the book. Yeah, I mean, I think it's, um, it's a very interesting book in that really his premise of the book is he's not really talking all that much about Devo and it's not a biography he sort of makes that very clear in the beginning that it's really more about focusing on their influences and you know how they you know that's the subtitle of the book is how the 60s became the 80s and he sort of talks about how you know these guys you know when they were young and before they became a band they were sort of more like the 60s era hippie kids and yeah. Um, you know, he brings in the um, Kent State shootings, which is where uh, several of them were going to school. Yeah. Were there during the shootings. Yeah. Kent State University. Yeah. yeah. And so he talks about how that was such a turning point. And that's what kind of changed them completely um, to us. Uh, so I pulled a quote. He said that changed them from being a free love pot smoking hippies to a successful and slightly subversive multimedia entity who had not only renounced their former ideology, but did everything in their power to dismantle it all within the span of a decade. So that's really kind of his focus. And he even uses this Kent State shootings as kind of a leitmotif that goes yeah. throughout the book. He keeps, um, the book is divided into 10 chapters and it covers the year 70 to 79 with a little bit of a, a prologue on the on 1969 and an epilogue on the 80s. But he really is talking about the decade that they developed in. So he really just focuses on that. And he talks about how these Kent State shootings, all the trials that came up uh, and 
each year and you know how so many of them were so disappointing that nobody was ever found guilty of doing anything wrong even though four students got killed and one student was permanently paralyzed and, and you know not to mention just the trauma of the whole thing total um, tragedy yeah and so it's interesting how he uses that as a sort of backdrop to the story of the sort of the tension and and the nightmare behind you know what's motivating them the disappointment and the anger of that yeah. moment, those series of moments was yeah. what makes Devo. It's a really rich history, you know. And again, and it, you're, as you mentioned, the book really focuses on Devo's early years, and it actually stops uh, when they make the second album. You know, right. after they make the second album, it doesn't go into like Whip It, you know, Devo or the you know the sort of the early '80s Devo right. at all. It just really talks about the first Devo, the first two Devo albums. Uh, their demos, uh, their early, the very early tours, and um, their relationship with the people we mentioned already, and um, and and of course the strong focus of this Kent State University shootings um, that took right. place in '68. Um, 1970, no, 1970. Oh, okay, 1970. And actually, Crosby Stills and and Young, Neil Young wrote a song called "Ohio," which is based on the same incident. Mm-hmm. So that's another sort of strange Neil Young, you know, Devo relationship. Connection. Yeah. Jerry is the one who's the Devo's bassist and co-songwriter, uh, was probably the one who's affected the most by the shootings because he was there. He was there, yeah. And I think they were shot within feet away from him. I mean, he was, you know, on the move or on the run. And they well, I think shot. people he knew got shot. Yeah. 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 And he was there when they got shot. Yeah, oh, it just that's got to cause some serious PTSD for sure, and um, which is Devo definitely respond. To. <laughs> yes, exactly. Devo is the epitome of PTSD, right? <laughs> it's, almost like a, it's almost like a comic book origin story where you're a meek little boy, and then right, right, then you get like bit by a spider. Yeah, <laughs> spider. right. You see your parents get shot. Yeah, yeah. yeah no kidding. Actually, you know, the whole Devo thing is actually interesting because my dad just died, and it was like a year after I saw them. So I was still very yeah. angry and very confused about my my existence on the planet. Yeah. So Devo yeah. sort of came the right time for me, and I sort of, you know, I felt that tension and that music was a tension I felt in my within myself. So I really, really identified with them greatly, um, but I also became personally disappointed by them uh, due mm. to. Um, you know, when I first, what I love about Devo is their independence. They were a multimedia act mm-hmm. where they made films with another person, of course. Yeah. You know, they could have gone, they could have been totally independent to me. Like they started, their, they could start their own label, become their own corporation. The first, like, not the first, but like a real do-it-yourself DIY aesthetic. And, you know, the, their aesthetic is, and the Mark Mothers Ball's artwork is a visual artist as well. Is very kind of DIY, very... Um, uh, not part of the art world or anybody else. It's sort of like his own sort of weird Ohio mentality that they all have. And um, I was kind of disappointed over the years, like when they did sign with Warner Brothers and Virgin Records, I felt they lost their identity a little bit. Um, mm-hmm. I can't speak for anybody else, but for me, I, was, I, was, I definitely was disappointed in the changes that were made. And mm-hmm. um, the book, I think sort of covers that too, in a way. I think uh, Kevin Smith sort of um, comments on, on on the changes when you join a record label, like a major record label, and how that affects you. And 
it strikes me that Devo is very much was affected by being part of a Warner Brothers world. They signed with Elliot Roberts, Neil Young's manager. Right. And Elliot Roberts, who I have I have met, is the ultimate like Uber rock and roll manager. Mm. <laughs> Nothing punk rock about this guy. I mean, he's totally right. Amazing. He's always schmoozing. <laughs> well, not schmoozing, but he is the biz. He's power. Oh, 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 I see. Okay. So you know, in a way, so in a way, so Devo joining like the power struck me as sort of like, well, gee, you guys are like any, you guys are like punk rock. He's supposed to be anti-authority. Yeah, that's how I feel at this time. I mean, that's yeah. what I crave. I crave the independence of the bands and stuff. But the bands I've seen and love are all sort of anti-authority, anti-rock, anti—you know—and Devo is definitely anti-rock. Yeah, I mean, he talks a lot about that, which was. But the, but the fact is, they embrace the rock and roll business world. I mean, there's a lot of complaints about them that you know contracts, you know, being sponsored by David Bowie, which they were almost officially sponsored by Bowie. Right. Uh, working with Eno on the first album, you know, and working on the second album. And mm-hmm. when I listened to the first, the Eno produced, um, you know, what can go wrong? Brian Eno, who's great, right? Yeah, yeah. Devo, great, right? Uh-huh. So they made a record. This should be like super great. Right. This should be like really, this is beyond great. <laughs> this is like Eno and Devo. I mean, my hero, who I never met or saw before in person, <laughs> Eno, pushes Devo, who I know. Has yeah. to be great. Yes. And I was I was deeply disappointed by the first album because Were you? Not, oh. yes, because they didn't capture the Devo power. It didn't capture the oh. intensity of their of the, of the live shows. Oh. Records are records. Live shows are live shows. Yeah, right? yeah. yeah. When you've seen a band live, if you know what their potential as a live band is, sometimes they can be disappointing. I hadn't. I mean, actually, my first exposure to Devo, I think, was probably like a lot of people. I saw them on Saturday Night Live. I think I was in high school at the time. And I just remember thinking, wow, this is really weird. I like it, <laughs> you know. <laughs> okay, so. this, this is where I want to point out. Um, they did Satisfaction, right? Right. And, you know, what Kevin Smith is slightly wrong. I mean, it's like, this is a slight little error. In my <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, our friend Gary Freelander actually engineered and made the original Satisfaction with Diva. Ah, but is that the one that came on the album? No. No, oh, that was probably. No, you know, I totally re recorded it. Yeah. But I much prefer Gary's version of Satisfaction than Eno's than yeah. version. Oh, I'd like to hear that. You know, their demos are much more harder and much more um, not as compromising. Yeah. Which is sort of, for me, is a great appeal. It's kind of surprising considering it was Eno. And they recorded with uh, Connie Plank in Germany. Yeah, even more. And then Connie Plank, you know, genius, plus genius, plus genius. How could it possibly go wrong? Yeah. And I think for like one billion people who bought the album and love it, it you know, the I think it's a good album. Yeah. I think it's good, but it's just not. Not as good as the live show. Not, it's not Devo. It's not really uh, like Devo Devo to me. That's interesting. That's really and interesting. I think Kevin Smith brings this up a little bit because because even like Jerry and Mark throughout the book sort of hints that it's not the perfect Devo record uh, compared to their live shows and their demos. Right. Well, I mean, I guess that's just, you know, they're one of those bands that you can't really replicate what they do live on a recording. Yeah. You know? And especially because it's multimedia, you know, it's a very visual thing too. So, yeah, personally, I would recommend a, a, a bootleg live 
tape or library mm -hmm. or a bootleg live recording. Do they have official? Do they have any official live recordings? Uh, Ryko Disc, which was a company that was from the '90s, uh, yeah. like a music, they did these yeah. CD reissues uh, that were excellent. They did the first like Bowie reissue series, which yeah, excellent. I remember. And they did a Devo live uh, release that was really great. I would recommend oh, that. Wow. That to me is the best Devo album. Oh, okay. Um, just because their intensity of their attack of their material and their intensity of their world of view is very strong. Yeah. Live. And they can be captured live on record, you know, on tape, I think uh -huh. quite well. Um, I mean, it's interesting too, because he does talk a lot about how they struggled with being taken seriously. You know, people thought they were sort of a comic act or, you know, a novelty band. And, you know, perhaps part of that was also just you know, the recordings didn't capture the edge of what they were doing. In well, that's true. And also they came, they came exactly the same time as the, uh, the tubes. Are you, are you, do you know who the tubes are? are you yeah. I mean, I vaguely remember them. I wasn't never really into them. I don't. I didn't know. I don't know. That I was really into the tubes. I saw that they played in Los Angeles a lot. They're from San Francisco and they're totally theatrical and they did like huge, you know, production. In the book, they sort of compare them, Devo, with the two because of the theatrical approach, but totally different. Yeah, you know? yeah he does talk about them a lot. Yeah, though. and um, the tubes were amazing. And again, on record, they were okay, you know, mm. and they had songs. I mean, they, you know, they, their songs are good. Uh, some are really good, but. Um, they were, but Devo to me was a more serious thing. Devo had like a manifesto. Um, I mean, it's kind of funny, but to me, it didn't strike me as being like funny, haha. -ha. It means sort of like funny and ironic way. Right. So, well, it's definitely a black humor. You know, there's definitely uh, it's a darkness to it. Well, the darkness is that Devo is a very angry band. And they're very. I mean, the music, and then we see them live, and it's not full of love. <laughs> well, that's. I think that's a big part of the book. Yeah, it's just. They sound like a bunch of ex hippies who got turned off. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They they were all in love to peace, love, and understanding, and then they were like, uh, uh <laughs> this isn't working. Ex hippies make the perfect punks. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Disappointment is. Disappointment, uh... <laughs> resentment, bitterness. Um, about the world, probably being in Ohio and, you know, and <laughs> working in the factory and, you know, and right. blah, blah, blah. But, you know, Jerry has a graphic art or, or art background uh, mm -hmm. as well as music. Mark Mothersbaugh, which I didn't know at the time until uh, after I read this book, that he had a, he had a pretty much of a, a music background. He, he, yeah. he learned uh, the origin. He was a trained musician, yeah. Trained musician. And that's very much part of the Devo world as well, that, that Devo played it really in a minimal sense. Oh, I should also mention the secret weapon of Devo, in my opinion, is Alan Meyer, their drummer. <laughs> All right. Well, again, you have a little bit of personal bias there. I do. Again, I have to talk. I know Alan. Um, I didn't know Alan that well during the Devo years, but many, many decades later, uh, Luna and I, we need an electrician, and we were recommended by this great company. It was this great guy by the name of Alan, who's a great electrician. Uh -huh. So we, we hired him, and uh, and, it, and there it was Alan Myers at Devo. And yeah. um, so we renewed our friendship, and uh, Alan at that time pretty much professionally quit music but after he left Devo, but he was still playing with other musicians. And it's interesting, uh, Alan's taste in music is totally jazz, like bebop jazz, oh. and experimental improvised music. Oh, that's interesting. 
he was into like getting musicians together and improvising, you know, pieces yeah. together. Yeah. So okay. he didn't do the whole mechanical Devo drum thing. And he joined, my wife had a band called Jean Paul Yamamoto, and Alan became the drummer for that band. Right. I remember that. So yeah. it's basically Devo and then Jean Paul Yamamoto. <laughs> That's a good combo. It's a great combo. And, but, but, but beyond that personal thing, Alan is an incredible musician and amazing, amazing drummer. I mean, yeah, if, well, the drum part's so important in the in those Devo songs. For me, if no, if there's no Alan in Devo, there's no Devo. Yeah, I mean, I mean, you know, Mark and, and Jerry could have all the concept and music they want, but Alan makes Devo go. You know, he's. I mean, you know, drummers are very important in, in a group. I, <laughs> and a bass player. Yes, of course. And Alan is just with just a genius on the drum. He's just an incredible, incredible musician, incredible player. Right. And uh, and when and when you see them live, especially the early years when they're basically Devo, they're, I mean, I think for a lot of people, Devo is kind of famous for being like a synth pop band or like using synthesizers, which they did in the eighties. Mm-hmm. And when I saw them, it was basically two guitars, bass, drums. And Mark on a synthesizer once in a while, you know, but basically it, it's a guitar oriented band. Yeah, it was funny. I rewatched those performances from Saturday Night Live last night on uh, on the Internet. And um, yeah, when they did Satisfaction, it was all there was no synthesizer at all. And then um, they did um, Jocko Homo and they had like one or two keyboards, I think. But it was still yeah. guitar oriented. Yeah, it's kind of funny. I didn't realize that. And. Kevin Smith really brings up all the positive and sort of negative aspect of Devo of, uh, in this book that I really, really, I really greatly admire, you know. Mm-hmm. There's aspects of Devo is very kind of fascistic because of the uniform thing they do and sort of the catch phrase, especially like Jocko Homo, are we not men, we are Devo. Right. You know, we see them doing that live. It's almost like, you know, it's sort of a scary <laughs> if you're in a, if Right. You're in a, well, it was interesting in the um, Saturday Night Live performance. I'd forgotten, but at the end, I can't remember which one of them kind of does the heil, you know, he like yeah. raises his arm up and it's like, oh, that's kind of creepy. <laughs> well, there's that, there is that dark aspect of uh, yeah. Devo's aesthetic and music as well. You know, that's right. sort of, um, cultish almost. Um, it's kind of interesting because they, they sort of like criticize the cult Devo in a way, yet yeah. they pretty much cater to a cult. It's a double-edged sword. They have a manifesto, they have literature, they have art that sort of supports right. the evil myth or the evil narrative of you know, yeah. evolution. And even at the time when I first heard Devo, I always wonder about women. Like, why is it we are not men? I mean, I know this from, you know, yeah, from, from the past, but still, even in the 77, in the era of groupies and, you know, that type of world, uh, I always thought, why is it we are men, and why not we are women too? Or we we are. <laughs> it's not catchy, Tosh. <laughs> you got it. Gotta be catchy. But by no means was I a feminist in '77. <laughs> well, I'm not, I think I was leaning towards that direction because uh, I'm really like sitting there going, "Why is it like we are not men? Why why can't it be women involved in this?" Right, right. And and it, it sort of bothered me at the time. Did it? Oh, yeah. So I had these, I had these doubts. It's sort of like being yeah. in a cult, and then all of a sudden you develop these sort of like, hmm, you know, why women should not mention more. Yeah, he does get into that a little bit. About he does. Him. And then and then for me, when they joined Warner Brothers, and you know, they joined the rock and roll. You know, they they joined New Young for God's sake. 
Right. <laughs> but it's interesting because he talks about how they were very conscious of not wanting to be a cliched rock band. And um, yeah. And, you know, he talks about the songs, you know, not, you know, adhering to, you know, standard rock band song structure. And, um, you know, he talks about how they didn't have the rock star image so that, you know, even just yeah. like seeing them, the first thing, just seeing them before they even played, you you didn't see them as being rock stars. Yeah. Um, so he does get into that a lot. So it is kind of funny that they did end up kind of being, you know, arena playing rock stars. <laughs> it's also, you know, we look at the landscape of Devo. It's very interesting because, you know, they're, they're banned in, out of Ohio. A fellow band was Perubu. Yeah, who I love, and I know you love too. Yeah, they're great. And Perubu is sort of the, um, they too are mechanical sounding, but mm -hmm. in a more sort of human, they're more human. Yeah, definitely. It definitely has a more humanity. <laughs> I think of, it's not as strictly rhythmic, you know, there's no. a little, it's more herky-jerky, so you feel like there's a human, It's a, it seems... Um, less machine made you know and there, there's a synthesizer player but the synthesizer player did not have keyboards it's totally like the old-fashioned you know like you know first roxy uh -huh. music you know, right. a lot of dials right. and levers yeah. <laughs> so you have to be a real sound technician if you want to you know try to try to duplicate that sound over yeah. and over again and you can't yeah. sometimes with a synthesizer no. like perubu and like you know perubu and diva were friends and they sort of became sort of professional enemies after a while yeah that section was pretty interesting that he was talking about that and the, he he actually talked a lot about perubu it'd be great if he wrote a book about perubu <laughs> but yeah. uh, i was really fascinated because he he brought up the uh he said something about uh freud uh his theory of um the narcissism of minor differences yeah. And, um, you know, he said that this was exactly what, you know, people, people who are more similar tend to dislike one another based on small little differences. And that, you know, he says that's kind of what happened with them. And I thought that was actually pretty interesting because I feel like that's also kind of what's happening with the Democrats. You know, it's like they fight with each other over the stupidest little things rather than, uh, you know, realizing yeah. more similarities. So uh, that was kind of interesting to me. That's very Devo. That's evolution. <laughs> right, right, right. Eat, 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 eat your own kind because you want to yeah. get more exactly. than them. So that's another interesting. You know, Devo was very successful quite quickly compared to, like, say, Perubu, who are always struggling. Yeah. To this day, they're still Perubu. Well, yeah, they've never really had a hit. But, but they're around. I mean, they're consistent. You know, these guys are a consistent group. Yeah, they, didn't they just put a record out like last I, year? They, yeah, oh, you know, Dave Thomas yeah. just put out solo records. Yeah, I know, and he plays a lot still. Uh -huh. yeah. He's totally an underground figure. Perubu yeah. and him are totally underground. They're totally yeah. an alternative rock world. You know, they didn't sign up with Neil Young's manager. <laughs> yeah, it's interesting. I mean, uh, you wonder sometimes, like, is it? Is it the business choices that made them successful, or is it the work, you know, or you know, most likely a combination? Of I think, two. for me personally, I think it's Devo's music and talent, but a lot of it has to do with their connection, their showbiz connection. Sure, yeah, I mean, I, you can't deny that. You know, meeting Tony Basil was the best thing that probably ever happened to them. <laughs> and, and Devo are very much, you know, you know, the way Devo is Peru in the way that their music was underground, but Devo knew how to market it in a way. I mean, they're sort of marketing geniuses that yeah. they made products, they made, you know, 
they're totally like merch table mentality. Right, right. And they have a stronger visual that's you can grasp it much more quickly. Than yeah, Gary or Mark or one of those, somebody in that band has awareness that hmm, we're going to go on tour. Oh, we can get some money if we sell something <laughs> on the side, you know. So it's, yeah, it's kind of, you know, it was amazing. It was, it was amazing to watch that, you know, firsthand. And I think the book captures that, those series of moments really well. You know, when I read when I read Kevin's book, my experience with them and reading Kevin's book, I don't see a huge, you know, big difference. I think uh, yeah. Kevin captured um, the essence in that time really well. Another yeah. band that I greatly admired and loved, and that Devil admired a lot, is this band from. Um, well, I think originally they're from Seattle, but they moved to Los Angeles. The band called the Screamers. Mm, yeah, I've heard of them, but I don't know their music. Well, they're they're totally like underground i mean they were like so they were very popular in los angeles uh-huh. um and in the 70s yeah and totally they're like could be in a way they're sort of like devil that like devil's music is in your face especially if you see them in a nightclub you know there's nothing laid back about devil whatsoever right and the streamers were the same way if not even more minimal and more electronic and more um focused in a funny way you know both focused but um the lead singer t- of the screamers was this guy named tomata tomata Oh right, yeah, yeah. We talked about them. Are they the band that never really got recorded? Yes. Yeah. That's how underground they were. Right. (laughs) That's a shame. The difference between the Screamers and Devil, basically, is that their approach to art is almost the same, but the big difference is Devil said yes, Screamers said no. Mm-hmm. They didn't make an album. They want to make like a like a video record originally. Screamers. They want to do something. They want their first presentation to be a visual medium uh-huh, uh-huh. uh tomato the lead singer was a uh, artist as well you know uh-huh. like like mark is uh-huh. um but again like comparing them with perubu deal with perubu or and devil and the screamers the screamers were much more human as well tomato is definitely more um uh, in your face performer but very human you know and yeah. very, human emotions and right. human expressions but exaggerated and the music was relentless as Devo. it was very like catchy and very hypnotic and the screamers had no guitars it was basically an electronic person uh, electric piano and drums and that's it so very minimal they had a very strong minimal sound like Devo did you know Devo has a very minimal mechanical sound so the, I had that feeling too, like, well, how come Screamers can't make it, yet Devo makes it? I had that sort of fan, you know, fanboy motif at the time. Again, I think it's, you know, the connections. And like you say, they said yes. Yes, yes, they, they did. They did all the things they needed to do to be successful. And uh, it was funny how he said, uh, even right from the beginning, they were like sending uh, their demos to all the people at Saturday Night Live. Like they were desperate to get on Saturday yeah, Night they, Live. Yeah, they, they, they want to be famous. I mean, they yeah, want to, they want to really. be successful. I think more so than the other bands at the time. Like, um, well, the Tubes definitely want to be successful. But like... Um, Tuxedo Moon, The Residents, uh, Perubu, The Screamers. You know, these are yeah. guys who are sort of um, in, sim- in the same similar world, but um, they didn't conform at all. Devo yeah. did conform, at least in the business sense, to be successful. I was listening to those first couple albums, and I think they actually hold up. I mean, I know you said you they, they didn't work for you because you had a different yeah. experience. I, I, can barely, I can barely listen to the second album. Really? Huh. Yeah. 
I'd like well, to. I think they still have a unique sound. I mean, oh, I, sure. I listened to it, and it doesn't sound like everything else. That was, you know, like I mentioned yeah, in our sure. last episode, that when I listen to a lot of those synth bands, they all sound the same to me. But yeah. Devo still sounds unique to me when I listen to it. They, they're totally unique. I mean, to this yeah. day, you take, you get, yeah, I, you know, I wouldn't even argue in the eighty, you know, the, their eighties albums, which I don't like at all, is still a unique work. Yeah. You know, they have a unique sound, they're unique. They're, they're always unique. There's nothing yeah. ununique about them. Yeah. But for me, because um, I had, was privileged to see them at a specific time, and you know, it's like almost like seeing Elvis Presley in 1956, you know, and then taking those 1956 memories and you see him in Las Vegas in the 70s. It's right. You know, it's <laughs> a different world, right? So yeah. my, my, my view of Devo is, is slightly different when they became really a big success and they did like, yeah. you know, they didn't do arenas really, but they did like big, you know, big, they did big halls, you know, like 5,000. Yeah. I mean, they were, they were quite popular, especially with Whippet. When Whippet came out, they were really huge. I mean, that was a top 40 song for sure. Absolutely. And they were huge on MTV. They really yeah. took advantage, you know, but like the, the new romantics that we discussed before, they grasped the importance of that visual medium right from the beginning they so. did i mean their, their videos are great devo videos are really art pieces not yeah. only because they work with bruce connor obviously mm-hmm. but um they're the probably one of the first bands that really made videos a high aesthetic as compared, yeah. to, compared to the music well they started out they made he talks a lot about the first film they made um yeah. i mean the, for them it was meant to be a multimedia thing right from the get go and i was yeah. laughing because uh, because i think it was jerry who said you know uh, we only ended up doing music cuz that was the most affordable equipment yeah. So we would have been filmmakers, but we couldn't afford the equipment i was laughing i was like well Werner herzog would have said steal it <laughs> that's a bad excuse <laughs> and when you did see devo in the early days they're uh, definitely more than just a music band. They're definitely a multimedia. Yeah, because yeah. they did they did start off each show showing their film. Yeah, at the time I think it was a half an hour or twenty minutes long. You had dialogue and you know it was it was yeah yeah it's a whole stuff. thing. It's not yeah, just a so, music video. Yeah, so they definitely had that multimedia thing from the very beginning, and it yeah. was really obvious. And I was laughing when he talked about. Uh, he said Crawford uh, played that film as their opening act rather than having a band. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> he said something about how uh, Kraftwerk didn't like to have uh, an opening band. They didn't want to have any competition. No. <laughs> so they decided to play that Devo film. And I thought, oh, that's perfect. And then Kraftwerk is, quite, is mentioned quite a lot in this book as well. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. Kraftwerk are similar in the way because they, they have a very, they're a strong unit at the time and a very, very focused vision right. of what they do as, as well. Yeah. Yeah, I watched that Connie Plank documentary that you told me about the other night because it's like mm-hmm. he keeps coming up and all the books we're reading. So, uh, yeah, it was interesting. Yeah, he's an interesting engineer, producer guy. Yeah, really, yeah, he's yeah. done a lot, of, uh, a lot of interesting bands. So Kevin C. Smith, Re- Recombo DNA. Recombo DNA is actually a title of a Devo compilation box set of their early demos. That's what I get out of the title. So, yeah, Recombo DNA, the story of Devo or how the 60s became the 80s. And that last part of that title, how the 60s became the 80s, is very much this book as well, as well as Devo. And Kim Smith wrote a really, really good book. Yes, another one that we highly recommend. I'm very glad we read it. 
I know it's yep. a few years old, but uh, it's definitely worth checking out. And the book itself is beautiful. Jawbone Press does a really nice job. Um, I have quite a few. Nice yeah. Paper stock and beautifully designed, bunch of really nice color photos in the beginning. Jawbone books overall, if not always, do magnificent looking books. Yeah, and interesting books, you know. Interesting books, and as well as I read, you know, I read many of them, and they're all really, really good or excellent. I never yeah. read a bad book by them so far. Yeah, yeah, it's definitely a niche publisher. They, uh, it's, uh, is it all music? Do they do anything else? Only music. It? Yeah, so they're right up our alley. Oh yeah. <laughs> but it's it's not mainstream music. I mean, a few like they have a Bowie book. You know, some of it's a little bit more mainstream. But they have a book called Bowie in Berlin. Yeah, it's, um, it's kind of weird. Even the mainstream one is like a niche thing, you know. <laughs> but they have a book on the Walker Brothers, not the Scott Walker. Yeah, yeah, Walker. I know. I saw that. I was like, oh, I need to read that. Have you read that one? Yeah, I have, and it's excellent. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah. I, I recommend it. But they, they did a book on the Hot Burrito Brothers, the Boy in Berlin, a book of, uh, about Jack Bruce, the bassist who, in, of Cream, and you know, uh-huh. great, uh, great Jack Bruce. A book on Depeche Mode. A book on Glenn Hughes, who was in Deep Purple. Uh, Randy Rose, who was in Ozzy's band. So they do like heavy metal stuff, mm-hmm. as well as um, books on on alternative pop or people like Devo as well. All their books are very, very good. Yes, I definitely foresee some more Jawbone books in our future podcast yes. episodes. Yes. Well, thank you so much, everyone, for listening to Book Music. Um, the next one we're going to be doing, we're finally going to be uh, leaving the uh, sort of new wave, uh, if you want to call it that, although that's a term that gets disparaged quite a bit, but for lack of a better term, but we're going to be leaving that realm and we're going to be doing I'm Your Fan, The Songs of Leonard Cohen, which is a new 33 and a third book, uh, sort of dealing with uh, cover song, bands that uh, do, you know, tributes and things like that. So that looks like it could be pretty intriguing. Um, Interesting subject matter. Yeah. So that is the next one. So um, definitely follow us on Facebook and Instagram and Twitter for all of the latest news. Uh, we'll be letting you know what we're reading. And uh, that's where we post all of our episodes and our playlists. And you can get links to everything on our actual website at bookmusic.com b-o-o-k-m-u-s-i-k.com so thank you thank you everybody we'll be seeing you shortly take care bye-bye bye